Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 25 through 28 this morning, which will be ending this uh, part of 1 Thessalonians, and uh, we'll begin to prep us for the second uh, letter um, starting next week. Um, And so we get to the place where, again, we'll be getting the final thoughts of uh, Paul to the Thessalonians. And as you're turning there, let me give um, some information. Uh, One, uh, please do take your Northside notes. There's a a second part of the evangelism training of how we are uh, equipped to go out and do evangelism. And in that vein, um, there is a request from Paul uh, Chow of the Korean church and Paul has been going out into a couple of venues. He's been going out into the marketplace and doing evangelism just within the marketplace, but he's also been going to FIT and Eastern Florida uh, uh, campuses during the week and going out and talking uh, to students. And uh, so he's inviting us to come alongside with him. He wants to do the equipping uh, of teaching you how to go out and do it. Uh, but he's also, he's focusing on the Korean students for the most part, but he's also talking obviously to a lot of American students. And so he would like us to be a part of that so that we can bring them um, here as well um, and have them be a part of our fellowship. And so if you are interested, please contact Paul. Um, He would love to hear from you. And then he wants to also to develop um, a relationship where we put together an evangelism committee um, that would oversee how we begin to to minister and start to go out into work within the Brevard County, especially uh, the Melbourne uh, area. So please, if you're interested, contact Paul Chow. As we're coming to this passage, let me give you just a little bit of the backgrounds because it says uh, now for all the brothers. Now, I want you to understand that anybody who is a Christian, whether you're a Christian woman, you are considered to be a brother in this passage, just like all Christian men are brides of Christ. Okay, so don't get upset by it. Um, so it's also d- directed towards the time because during this time, women did not have rights. And so for the scripture, for Paul to even talk about the women to be called the brothers was a big deal um, because we inherit um, what God gives to us through Christ. And so I want you to understand that that's part of um, our background. As we come to this, again, we all understand what it means to say goodbye to people, um, to have those final thoughts, um, those things that we want to say at the last minute. So again, you kind of go through the process of just small chit chat, and then you get to the place where you want to say those words um, that are very important before you embrace and walk away from each other for whatever amount of time you have. Well, this is where we find ourselves in the midst of this passage where Paul is giving his words, the last words, to the Thessalonians before he releases this letter. And so we're going to be looking at these four specific things within it. So you're looking at the prayer request. Um, what it means to have proper fellowship with one another, the priority of scripture, and then the plea for grace as we finish the passage. So listen to verses 25 through 28. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to this passage, it's your words to us. And so, yes, Lord, Paul did write these words. He penned them in his own, uh, with his own pen for this part. And he gives to us his heart 
But Lord, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us your words that you want to communicate to us. So Father, speak to us clearly and definitely allow us to hear these words from you. And then Lord, encourage us to look more like our Savior than when we came this morning. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see is that there's a prayer request that's going on from Paul. So we know that Paul has had prayers for the people, and he talks uh, throughout this first letter how he had the prayers for the people, and the three very specific things that he prays for for the Thessalonians. The first thing he prayed for for them was to love one another. Hey, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to show to all the world how you love one another and interact with one another. The second thing that he prayed for the people was that their hearts would be blameless in holiness before before God and specifically before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then the third thing he prays for is that they would be completely sanctified, not just cleaning up the outside of their lives, but that their hearts would be changed, that everything about them would be given to the glory of God. So Paul now changes from the prayers for the people to a request for the prayers for him and the pastors. Now, why would Paul have to do this? Why would Paul need prayer? He's, he's an apostle. I mean, he's, he's someone who's gone out and done all these things. Listen to what Paul has done as he listed in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. We're starting at verse 23. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. For I am talking like a madman with far greater labors. Far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jew the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships, through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. See, Paul went through all of that stuff. And so you would kind of say, Paul, why are you asking for prayer? Because I think Paul understood that even in the midst of all the hardships that he went through, all the struggles that he went through, he knew that he needed prayer. And not only prayer himself, but he sees the example of Jesus. All you have to do, if you want to get an in-depth look at the prayer life of the Savior, read through the book of Luke. And Luke tells you all the times that Jesus is going off and why he's praying and for whom is he praying. And if the Son of God needed time in prayer, how much more do we need time in prayer? And so Paul cries out for the Thessalonians to pray for him because, listen, we need strength in the battle. He was aware of his weaknesses, and so he knew that there was physical strength that he needed. He knew there was emotional strength, and there's the spiritual battle that he was going to be going through. And so Paul asked, you pray for me. And that's the same request that you would pray for your pastors. Pray for one another. Go into the battle. It's the passage that David read for us. Are we holding each other's arms up in prayer? Because we all need the prayers of one another. 
So that's a request. Pray. Pray. Pray for the specific things that Paul prays for you and for me. And then pray for those in leadership. Pray for those who are out in the ministry. Pray for those who are surrounding you. But get into the mix and be a part of the prayer. The second thing that he talks about is proper fellowship. So this seems uh, very different for us. So greet the brothers with a holy kiss. Now, you kind of look at that and you kind of go, well, why, why would Paul say that? Okay. Now, these things can go wrong. Okay, and I don't remember whether it was um, Hugh or whether it was Roland uh, who was with me when I was in Nigeria and we were teaching the pastors and they were talking about giving each other a holy kiss and it was a part of their service. And yet the warning came out from one of the pastors. He says, I know what you guys do. You try to go find the best looking girl in the congregation and you go over to her and you want to give her the holy kiss, but the ugly people you stay away from. And so even within the church, things can go awry. And so the point is not just simply about a holy kiss, because that's a, that's a cultural expression. It was something that they were used to at the time. And again, we have countries that are like that. If, if you don't think about it or you don't uh, recognize it, you have France, okay, and other countries. And you have to figure out with la bis, how do you um, go and give a kiss and you go cheek to cheek and which way do you start from which side do you start? How many times do you kiss? And you don't actually kiss, you make a kissing sound. But you go cheek to cheek and it can be any times from one time to four time and it changes upon which county you're in in French, which side you start on. And then who you give it to? Do you give it to a friend? Do you give it to a co-worker? Do you always give it to a woman if you're a man? Yes, but do you give it to a man? To another man if you're a man? Well, it depends. And so all these cultural things happen even to today. But it also depends on the individual people. And there are some people who struggle with giving hugs even within this congregation. And they stand taut and they're just like, don't touch me. I'm not used to people touching me. And they go, well, don't you have family members? Yes, but I don't let them touch me. Okay, so there's things that are going on. There's cultural things. There's individual things. But the expression of the holy kiss was a a true expression of fellowship. And and I want you to grasp and understand this because, again, it was talking about being, you're in the midst of a family. The kiss was given and it was physically pure and morally blameless. And the holy kiss was not something to be laughed at or despised because, again, it, it, sometimes it was used as a part of deceitfulness, remember? Judas betrays with a kiss. And yet the reality is, is most of these people in the midst of the fellowship are outcasts from their own families. Even today, if you were to go into the Middle East and, and, and down into Africa, if you become a, a, a Christian, you are disinherited from the family. And so the church is what becomes the family and should be the family even for us here in the United States. This is the place where we find security and hope. And what happens is this expression should be a sacred thing. It's not just casual. This is talking about a kiss or a hug in our culture, a handshake, where it's intimate. I mean, think about saying goodbye. What are the things that are the lasting things? What are the things that we do maybe even last? It's an embrace. 
And it's different than just a, a casual hug. It's an intimate embrace and saying, I truly am going to miss you. That's the meaning of having proper fellowship is when we can come in here and you don't get just a, 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 a casual hug from someone, a casual handshake. You get an intimate embrace of saying, I love you as my own family. And I want you to be encouraged in that and to know that that is what happens because it's sincere affection, it's respect, it's friendship, it's a sign of being a part of each other's families. So Paul encourages us, hey, be a part of proper fellowship. Encourage one another, become intimate with one another, pray for one another, know each other's names. So he says, here's part of it. The third thing that he requests or explains to us, he actually tells us to take an oath on it, is the priority of Scripture. See, Paul understood that his words were God's words for the Thessalonians. How do we know that? How do we know Paul's words were that? First Thessalonians 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in the believers. See, Paul understood this, and so he was faithfully giving the instruction of God's words to the people. And so the reality is, is Paul was saying, hey, I'm coming, not just, I'm not just giving you my opinion. I am telling you how God is telling you to live, how you are to, to take care of one another, how you are to give each other proper fellowship, how you are to encourage one another, how you're supposed to understand the second coming. I'm telling you, this is what God says. Now, the reality is, is for us, we have to, to read it, understand and apply it. Because here's the reality, we have more copies available to us in today's day and age than ever before, and yet the reality is, is people are reading the Bible less and less. So you have copies on every one of your venues, you have it on your computer, or you can. You can have it on your phone, you can have it on your tablet, you can have it in multiple languages, you can have it in multiple translations, you can have it in the written word, you can have it in a paraphrase, you can have it symbolically given to you, you can have it in sign language, you can have it in whatever way you want to. The question is, are we reading it? Are we spending time in in reading the word often and systematically. And what I mean by that, because this is, this is how I, when I first became a Christian, how did I read my Bible? And I'm going to ask you a question today. Mm-hmm. I would take my Bible, Zephaniah 1. Here we go. And that's how I did my Bible study. So a lot of times I ended up Where? Where's the middle of the book of the Bible? Psalms. A lot of Psalms. Okay? And sometimes Psalms aren't always the most encouraging before you go to a public high school. But that's where I would end up. So what am I asking you to do? Systematically read. Start in a book. And even if you choose Deuteronomy, you still read through Deuteronomy. But you start at chapter 1 and you go through the end. And don't skip over the parts that you don't like. Read all of God's word. 
So, and I don't care if you try to read it in 20 years, if you read through the Bible every year, but be reading the Bible and read the Bible itself, not just books about the Bible. Read the Bible and God is faithful to teach you. The second thing we need to do as we read it is understand it. He tells us that we should understand what it is that we're reading, which means we should take the time to understand that there are different genres. Okay, and you're going to read a letter of Paul differently than you're going to read the Psalms. You're going to read that differently than you read an apocalyptic like Revelation or Daniel. You're going to read that differently than uh, poetry. Okay, understand that there's different genres and there's different uh, purposes for it and there's different understandings. But understand that and read through it. Okay, also keep it in context. Okay, the biggest thing, the things that destroy churches and denominations more than anything is when people go and they pick specific verses and they take it out of context. Okay, don't make the Bible read the way you want to. You read the Bible the way that's written. That's the purpose. So keep it in its proper context and then apply the principles that you find within the context and in the genre to you. What is it that God's trying to tell us through the Thessalonians to us here in Melbourne in 2020? Well, he's laying it out for us. We take it and we understand it. And then the third thing we do is we apply it. Now, truly one of the scariest things for me as a teenager and even to today, Satan believes everything correctly about Jesus Christ as is written in the Bible. Satan believes everything everything about Jesus Christ as it is written in the Bible. So he could come here and he could teach us about the Bible. And he could say all the right things, but he's not a Christian. And he doesn't worship Jesus. So we have to be able to take the word and by the Holy Spirit engaging with us and enlightening the words to us, apply the words of scripture to real life. And I've told you this, Legan Duncan made this statement to his seminary students. He says, if you can understand these seminary, these great theological understandings in seminary and go home and be a jerk to your spouse, you don't understand the Bible. Because you've totally missed the understanding of what the Bible was saying. Now, again, as I say this, I want to be very careful because there are some people who've been beat up with religion. Okay. Um, And so I want you to be very, very careful because what you hear me saying sometimes is you can go, I'm I'm a terrible person. I don't even know if I'm a Christian now. Satan believes what I believe. And you can be overwhelmed by Those kind of things. And for those people, I say, live in grace. Live in grace. Jesus gave his life for you. Quit beating yourself up. If you repent of your sin, he's heard it and he's removed it. And he remembers it no more. So you quit remembering it. You quit defining yourself by it. You live in the freedom of grace that God allows you to come boldly into his presence through Jesus Christ. And stand because you're a child of the king. However, if you've grown up in a church where you've heard the gospel given over and over and over again, and you go, I got it, Jesus loves me. 
This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And my mom and dad too, and the Bible, and so I get it, and I love Jesus, and Jesus loves me. And then you go out and live your own life. Don't cheapen grace. So you might need to live in the law a little bit. So you might need to have someone hold you accountable to read through the wood because you're too quick to, well, I missed a month of reading, but God loves me anyways. Yes, but he also wants you to spend time with him. So again, you need to decide who you are. If you need to live in grace, live in grace. If you're cheap in grace, then live in the law. But ultimately, come back to what Paul says and apply the things that you're learning in Scripture. So as he tells you this, as he gives us this authority, the last thing he does, he tells us, and he begins to plea for grace. And so what he does, he says, um, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So the first thing we need to realize is we need to begin with grace. So we have to understand grace. And, and remember, God doesn't owe us anything. And you are not that great of a person for God to choose. And there is nothing in us. There's nothing in us that would make God choose us. And so we have to understand that the greatest part of the gift of God to us is that God gave to us his son. When we deserve to go to hell and he gives to those that he has chosen before the foundation of the world. And he says, I chose you before the foundation of the world to be saved by my son and his blood. Because here's the reality of loving the grace that we have. Because he lives a life that we couldn't live. Jesus' life is perfect. Yours isn't. So whose life do you want to be held accountable for? I want Jesus' life. And so he accounts it to us. And so he also went to a death that he didn't deserve. Jesus, by his perfection, should have never died. He kept the law perfectly, and yet he goes to the cross. And not only does he go to the cross to pay physically for our sins, he goes to hell. He bears God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. And again, you've heard me say this over, but you should never tire of this. This world, if you are a Christian, this is as much hell as you'll ever experience because you have to go in to pick up lines. You have to have people cut you off in the grocery carts. You have to have people talk back to you. You have to have people tell you that you're ugly. You have to have people in this life. And that's as much as you're going to get in hell. That's the worst it's going to be for you. But if you're not a Christian, this is as much heaven as you will ever experience. Because there are some people that will let you, as you've turned on your turn signal and try to escape in onto somebody else's spot as you're going into the grocery store, you stop and you let them in. Or you don't allow your cart to be run into their car because you're being a little spiteful. Maybe you do sacrifice something for someone else in this lifetime, even when they don't deserve it. See, we do that because we love Christ. And so we give a little bit of heaven to those who will never ultimately ever experience it because to them, hell is going to get very, very bad very, very quickly. So I want you to begin to to grasp and understand, are we truly um, understanding this grace? Are we living in the grace? Because what happens is we receive the forgiveness for our sins. For what? For the thing that we didn't pay for. 
and he brings us into fellowship. Listen, we don't deserve this. I know people complain about church and everything like that. This is my family. I don't have a mom and dad. I don't have grandmas and grandpas anymore. I've got siblings, and I've got siblings all around the country, and siblings that don't even do, we don't even do well communicating with each other. I have people that give more to my family than my immediate family has ever thought or imagined within this church. And listen, we don't even deserve this. And yet this is one of the gifts that God has given to us. He says, hey, love one another. Truly love one another as I've loved you. And as he begins to do that, what he also tells us here, it's something a little odd in some ways because he tells us to continue in grace. Well, where do we kind of get this? I mean, he tells us that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that's a constant thing. So the reality is if you go to, to John chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, For from his fullness we have all received, listen, grace upon grace. Well, isn't grace a one-time shot? No. God, by his very character, is defined by grace. And he continues to pour it out upon us. Poor grace. He's always given us the gift of himself. Listen, it's God's favor where he lovingly, lavishly, and eternally bestowed upon us by God the Father through the Son. And listen, by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the power of the Holy Spirit indwells within you. So you, listen, you are continually grace upon grace. And you continually grow in it. You continue to grow in it. Because he's given that to you. And the more that you grow in grace and the more that you grow in your understanding of how much God has loved you, then it should open up your heart to begin to love other people, even when they don't deserve it. See, that's our calling. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be growing in our fellowship. We need to be growing deeper in our understanding of the word and applying it to our lives. And then we need to continue to grow in grace. And you know where all of that comes to fruition? The table that's set before us. Not one of us deserves to come to the wedding feast of Jesus Christ and his church. Not one. But yet, through Jesus Christ, in his blood, in his life, and now his request, if you are mine, come to the table, for I prepare a place for you where you're going to be my bride for all eternity, never outside of his presence, never outside of his grace, loving one another, communing with one another forever. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. This we pray. Let's pray as we prepare ourselves. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you loved us with a perfect love, that you're a sovereign God who, by your creation, by your providence and your sustaining, you're gracious and merciful, and therefore allow us to come boldly into your presence through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would show up. What we do here is not magic. It doesn't fix us, but it sure does nourish us and encourage us to live the life that you've called us to live and to send us forth to redeem your creation, to make all things new, transforming us in mind and spirit. So, Father, prepare our hearts now as we receive
your supper, your blessing, your gift. For we pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.